Is the most high your first love? Let's pop the top on this. <sighs> Cue the music. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. There's a war going down. Put your shield and your armor on. Pick up your sword, gather your strength from the only one. Pick up your sword, gather your strength. What's up, guys and gals? I'm Carl. And I'm Chris. And you're listening to another episode of that Philly Faith Podcast, where we talk the walk and walk it too. Knock, knock. Yeah, I was just awkwardly staring at Chris until he gave us our joke. I'm going to start doing that from now on. All right. Who's there? Owl. Owl? Did Owl. I hear that right? Owl? Yeah. Owl who? Nah, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> It's like me, man. I'm not going to lie. You when all I listening fir- couldn't see the confused stare I was giving you. When I first heard it, too, I was like, I did the same thing. I'm like, that doesn't. It's uh, a good one. So what's on your mind? Uh, I don't know. Did you get a chance to watch that video I sent, like, right before we got here? Is it the one with the, the girl talking about why she mm-hmm. left Faith? Yeah, I wanted to make sure because I was confused because another friend of mine commented that I don't think you're connected with. So I, I wasn't on sure if it same, wasn't on that same video. On that same video, That's so I wasn't weird. sure if it was bringing up the right one or if it was just bringing right. up a generalized page. So I wanted to make sure. No, I didn't no. ask before we started recording. Maybe I should have. No, yes, I did right. watch that. Awesome. His well, response was good. It was and and spot on and kind of in line with, um, you know, that's kind of a it's been a re- reoccurring theme. So I figured I'd, Mm -hmm. it's probably something I better share. For those of you listening, just because we're talking about a video you haven't watched. I was going to explain it, but yeah, yeah, go ahead. If you've you've seen it. She was expressing how she was like a fully committed, sold out, sold out Christian, allegedly. And uh, the more she started reading her Bible, the more it didn't align with what the church was teaching, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast. Exactly. About, you know, the church teaches things that really aren't biblical, like it or not. It's just, just the reality of it, and you have to align yourself with the Father and His Word, and not what you're being taught. She didn't do that. Right. That was what she expressed. That the more that it, it didn't align, and it also didn't align with her personal feelings. Right. Her sensibilities. I think she her said. Sense, yeah, she worded it sensibilities. Yeah, sensibilities. So she abandoned faith altogether. Right. And that was the the guy's response, response video, and the guy's response was, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things we're being taught that aren't right, but. That should have led you away from religion and doctrine and closer to the Father, not the other right. way around. And right. he was right about that. Go yeah, ahead, I'm sorry. And, and no, you're fine. And that's that's kind of where, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, you know, well, from a couple of weeks ago from recording this, yeah, which not upload way off for those of you listening. I right, apologize. right. So at some point in the show, <laughs> <laughs> I gave my testimony. And that's kind of what what happened with me was, um. You know, a lot of us growing up, especially if you grow up in church, you know, the first taste of the Bible you get is the stories. So you think it's kind of like a storybook Mm -hmm. right? at a young age. And it is. I mean, well, I shouldn't say it is, but in a sense, there is a lot of good stories in it, right? Right. So then as you mature and you go through elementary school and junior high and high school, then you start to realize that, hey, there's more than just stories here. There's 
there's teachings that go along with those stories. Right. And then there's, you know, then there's scriptures that are just doctrines and it just builds and builds and builds. Right. So you, you tend to study more and then you get into, you know, or at least I did, you get into the high school where you're starting to read the Bible on your own and you're like, wait a minute, this, this isn't right. And typically the answer that you get is, well, you know, don't really do what the Bible is telling you to do. Do what I'm telling you to do based upon what the Bible says. Right. right? So you can get caught up in that, you know, especially if you go through uh, some t- tumultuous times. That was very good. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, I almost stumbled on it, but I didn't. <laughs> um, you know, because then if you if you start to put, I think that's, a little, and I know I'm kind of being jagged about this, but I feel like a lot of Christians today put too much faith into their favorite people mm-hmm. and not their favorite person. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So rather than, you know, put their faith in God, they put their faith in people that's where we tend to break. And we've, we've talked about that at length on the show before, but it just kind of, you know, with me sharing my testimony and a couple of different friends I've been talking to. And then I see that, which oddly enough, that's probably why it came across my feed, Facebook, Facebook's algorithm. You know, if somebody you knew commented on it and I've been watching similar videos, but however it yeah. came across, it came across my feed and, I just thought his, you know, like you said, his he was right on point where when she started reading the scriptures for herself and they were contradicting what she was being taught, instead of saying scriptures are true, man is false. In her mind, she said, man is true, scriptures are false. Right. And that's what led her. And so she opened up the whole video with... I always tell people, if you want to be an atheist, read the Bible. And it's like, (laughs) okay. So, and then she goes on to explain that the Bible strongly contradicted everything she was taught. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, if no, if, if nobody is taught anything and they read the Bible and follow the Bible, then that's the closest thing to a perfect faith in my, in my opinion, if you're following the Bible and the scriptures verbatim, then to me, that's almost a perfect faith. Yeah. Right. Right. So <laughs> you would kind of be like contradicting yourself. If you're like, just read the Bible and do what the Bible says and you'll be an atheist. What? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I said, you know, then she goes on to explain where in, in, and that's what he said, you know, the, the Bible wasn't wrote to make sense to you. It was wrote as an instruction manual as a way to live your life. Right. Right. So it's going to take studying. Yeah. And, and, and that's where I feel like, like you said, a lot of people, they get confused because they start putting their faith in, in, in their leaders rather than putting their faith in God. Yep. Yeah, there's a celebrity obsession in the church, mm-hmm. the churches. 
is concerning. Oh, yeah. I mean, they get elevated so high, you know, that their word becomes God. Right. Almost. And then when people learn that what they're teaching theologically doesn't align with what the Father says, with what the Bible says, they throw the whole thing out. Mm-hmm. exactly what that girl did. Well, the faith must be wrong. So I'm going to throw right. the whole thing out. They don't even consider that maybe, maybe the person that you've been eating spiritual food from is feeding you poison. Right. And may not even be intentional. It's just, these are things that have been passed down for generations. Right. You know what I mean? And nobody questions it. Theology mm-hmm. has such a stranglehold of dominance on the churches that nobody questions it because nobody's allowed to. Right. If you don't align with what theology tells you to believe in Bible colleges, your opportunities for ministry are very limited, right. very limited. There are very few churches that will ever allow you to preach if you don't align. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and like I say, when you, get, when you get excluded to such a high degree, how could you question it? The ones that are questioning what's being taught based upon what they see the Bible clearly saying are pushed to the outside of the camp so nobody hears them. And that's kind of by design, it seems like. Right. You know. All right. I'm going to, I'm also, I agree with that, but I'm also going to kind of present another, another theory mm-hmm. is that what, what she had been taught up to that point was very easy. Yes. And when she started reading, it was infinitely, I don't want to say, Loving Jesus is hard, but it's not. There's certain things you're called to do. And I think when it's, when people start to realize that, it's easier to throw out the Bible than it is to throw out the theology. Yes. Yeah, I would I think, agree with that. I think that's kind of the, the route that it took was, well, I'm still a good person because I don't, you know, I don't murder and I don't, you know, I don't do all the low hanging fruit stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna throw this. I'm gonna throw the rest out and be, you know, well, God just must not exist. Yeah, because that's easier, right? Well, the fact that she so heavily emphasized her sensibilities tells me that she wanted a comfortable faith. Mm-hmm. She wanted a faith that that taught just enough about sin to make her feel religious, but not so much that actually required her to change, right? You know, in a, in a real meaningful way, mm-hmm. like we talked about. I think it was. I think we talked about this last week, possibly, that the, you know, all the commandments that, that require us to sacrifice with little in return, we mm-hmm. throw out. Right. The commandments we can use to get something for ourselves, we want to we hold on to all those, but we want to toss the rest out. It's not a buffet. You don't right. get to pick and choose. You know, a, a heart of a, of a child that truly loves the Father will pursue the things that pleases the Father. Right. You know, without without omission. That's not to say you're perfect. It's a growing process. Mm-hmm. But if you're refusing to grow in certain areas, that's grieving him. When Paul talks about grieving the spirit, that's exactly what he's talking about. When you take an area of your life, of your life and say, no, you can't have that. We're going to resist you here. It's, it's resistance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We're all guilty of it in some ways. But she just went off the rails yeah. in, in, in her resistance and just forsook the whole thing. Right. Which is unfortunate. More Which than is unfortunate. Right. Right. I mean it's it's one of those things that I think that's kind of the the I want to say that's the extreme. Yeah. 
you know, I think a lot of it, a lot of times what just happens is the person, a person just falls away. Mm -hmm. I doubt she was as sold out as she claimed she was in the beginning of that video. If she, if she abandoned faith entirely. Right. That easily. Yeah. Yeah. She was in love with the idea of the church. Right. She wasn't, she was never in love with the father. If it was, if it was that easy for her to forsake the father and the son, she never loved him. Right. She never loved him. She loved the church. Mm Mm-hmm. And when the church let her down, she walked away from that. And she thinks she walked away from faith. She right. walked away from a churchy religion. She walked away from what some would call churchianity. Right. And I think, and I guess that's that's probably the a, a more fluent way of putting exactly what I was my point was, mm-hmm. you know, people walk away from the building. They don't, you know, they, right. they were never really in the faith. They were in the building. Right. They were in love. Or they were in the the social construct of it. They were, you know, they weren't ever going to church for him. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. Well, this really aligns with what I wanted to, to have our, our discussion flow around. Right. I wanted to have, I learned a new uh, term from Stephanie this week, anchor text. Anchor text. It it sounds so official and flashy, doesn't it? Anchor text. They use text, it in the like text. T-E-X-T. Yes, T-E-X-T. They use it in the classroom. Right. So like you'll have the anchor text and that that guides your discussion. And you can use other texts around that to 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 formulate your, your point. Right. Right. But today we're going to have an anchor text to right. guide the discussion that we have moving forward. We'll get to that in a minute. I want to tell a story that kind of adds to this a little bit. It's doesn't seem like it's the same, but it's in the same same vein of love, right. right? So we're talking about she didn't love the father. I was talking about love and neighbor. I told you this story off record last week, I think. Okay. About that guy that I, on on the vacation, on my vacation that I helped, that we stopped. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't do that on record, did I? No. I lose track. Yeah, no. We talk a lot off record, and then we talk on record, right. and I lose track of what yeah, I we ta- Yeah, we talked a long time last week, too. We did. It all ran together for me, right. to be honest with you. And honestly, I'm like... We told a lot of stories. I'm not sure if I'm. I think if you start telling the story, I could tell you. Yeah. If I had heard it or not, but I'm not quite sure. I have this vision because you help so many people. Lot. It's hard to. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a very special one. So, we were, and it was I'm trying to think of the time frame. It would have been before I received that that a storm is coming message. And just before we even dive in, this is going to be part three of that ongoing discussion. This would be the final mm-hmm. part in that. So. Uh, part one, we talked about how the spirit laid on me that a storm is coming right. of some kind. Last week, part two, we talked about why, right? Mm-hmm. And all the all the confirmations that he gave me through that vacation that was really more like a pilgrimage, right? right? There was so much that happened. It was it was I've never experienced anything like it. This week, part three is more about the solution. What can we mm-hmm. do about it? Yeah, we know what's coming, or basically a a discipline is coming of some kind. We know why. What can we do? Right. Right. And that kind of rolls in with a little bit more on why also. But anyway, so on that trip, on that vacation, you say this was before before the the storm revelation. Uh, there was this guy. We we drove by this guy. There was a guy we were going through uh what town was it? Some some somewhere in Montana. It wasn't Bozeman. The other big big town in Montana. They're all small. It's one of the biggest small towns Montana has. Um, I'm not good with uh, geometry. 
Geometry. <laughs> it's a joke. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. I'm was so worried. bad at I'm so bad at <laughs> I'm so bad at it. I call it the wrong name. One of the two big big quote unquote cities in Montana. Geography. I know Geography, what the word is. Yeah, okay. Just so the people are like, he doesn't really know what the he word is. Okay, he played that off really well. I, I, know, I know what it is. I was making a joke. <laughs> anyway, we're driving through and this guy's sitting at the side of the road right. asking for money, obviously. And I felt really pressed that I needed to say something to him. But I'm not in control, right? I'm, I'm in the passenger seat in the back, mm-hmm. right? I'm not driving. So I don't have control over it. And I'm kind of trying to talk myself out of it, right? Because I felt like I needed to say, hey, pull over, but I didn't. I'm talking myself out. And I'm like, you know, you can't help everybody. And you know when sometimes the spirit, it's almost like he's responding directly to a thought you have. Right. And like this answer comes into your heart. Mm-hmm out of nowhere and you're like whoa where'd that come from that's what happened what, what a lot of people would call a coincidence yes right or just a random thought but i i said that in my mind you can't help everybody and immediately the reply came but you can't help him yeah yeah i can i'm here but you know i'm like so i'm like praying and i'm like all right well give me an opportunity you know if if you really want me to talk to this guy have circumstances work out putting it on him, which probably wasn't the best thing to do. I probably should have just obeyed and said, hey, pull over. But I didn't. Well, then my parents, they're the ones that are driving my mom and my stepdad. They start talking about how, hey, we need to get the the vehicle cleaned. We need to wash the vehicle out of nowhere. Driving through, it's a rental. You need to wash it. Who cares about washing a rental? Right, we're going to tear this thing up. (laughs) You know what I mean? It doesn't need to be clean. Right. But they needed to wash it and turned around because I guess – Kevin, my stepdad, had had seen a car wash that I didn't see, so he, mm-hmm. he turned around. I think he might have even done a U-turn. I'm not sure. not sure if that was legal. Maybe right. he didn't. Sometimes he does them. Maybe I shouldn't say this on, you know, I'll be watching him now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that worried about that kind of stuff. I was going to say, I think they got bigger <laughs> worries than somebody pulling a random U-turn. I don't know. Some of the things I see the cops here in town worried about <laughs> with the other stuff I know is going on. That's a side note. I'm not even going to get into that. Yeah. Anyway, we turned around go back to this car wash and pull in and sure enough pull right by this guy that's sitting by the side of the road that I had this feeling about right past him it's a right. grocery store and a car wash and a gas station and he's sitting right there at the intersection and we're sitting there in line in the car wash and I'm sitting there like internally battling myself you know what I mean like right. ah, should I get out should I not I don't know you know what I mean and I felt this pressure in my chest and I know when I feel that he's telling me you need to obey and you need to do it now mm-hmm. I felt it enough times to know he, it's that pressing, I call it, that right. you feel internally and you know it's from him. Mm-hmm. And that's what I felt. You know, like I've got to. And Steph could tell. She could tell by my, by my body language because I kept looking back at him and then looking, looking back at her and looking back at him and looking around. She could tell. She, yeah. she knew. She, she even said that she almost told me, you need to get out and go <laughs> talk to that guy. You know what I mean? So I got some money out and I went out and I went to talk to him. And the day before, just as because this part's important, I had just been telling Steph that I want to find uh, an arrowhead because we had gone to places like like Crazy Horse and stuff like that, and I wanted to I wanted to get an arrowhead because I love the 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 imagery of the arrowhead related to biblical terminology. Right, like Torah is related to the term for hitting the mark. It's an archery term. Mm-hmm. Sinning is related to missing the mark. It's an archery term as well. So when when you see that that dichotomy between righteousness and unrighteousness. He uses archery language mm-hmm. to to um, picture it for us, right? Right. So I like I like that. So I wanted to find an arrowhead, but anyway, 
fast forward, I'm going over to talk to this guy. And I know I'm kind of rambly. I didn't like. It's all right. Yeah. I was rambly. Yeah, it's all well. good. So I'm going over to talk to this guy. And the first thing I do is I ask him what his story is. Right, because I wanted to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. He he told me about how you know, well, you know, I had a job, and then you know, my my boss went to the next town over, and now I don't, and I just need a couple bucks to get by. He wasn't really asking for anything; he was just telling me what you know why he was there. He's just answering the question. I was like, "Well, before I help, can I pray with you?" And he's like, "Absolutely." So we prayed together, and as soon as I'm done, I, as soon as I'm done praying with this guy, he looks at me like squares me up. And he goes, you know, prayer is very important. We don't do nearly enough of it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's absolutely true. He starts ministering to me. Right. You know what I mean? I'm asking him if he knows Jesus and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he starts preaching to me. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you're right. So I give him the money. And he's like, oh, man, that's so generous. Thank you. I've got these, these, uh, these rocks that I found that I give to people. And he pulled these rocks out and he's giving them to me. He's like, oh, and this one, by the way. And he like singles this one out and he goes, he holds it up and he goes, this is an arrowhead. Here you go. <laughs> okay. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You know, right. God bless. Have a good one. Walk away. And I walk in the time it takes. It's like maybe, I don't know, 50 feet away from where I was talking to him and where the car wash is because I told them to go into the car wash and I just, I just meet him on the other side. It was an automatic. So I just meet him on the other side mm-hmm. of it get back in so i'm standing there waiting I, I walk back and i'm standing there waiting maybe he had time to get somewhere i don't know but i look back and he's gone and i look everywhere to try to see if i can see this guy walking down the road walking into the grocery store anything i don't see him anywhere like he just vanished i don't i don't know hebrews 13 2 tells us to 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 entertain strangers because some have entertained angels unawares right i believe that and it was odd because when we came back from vacation, a friend of mine brought that verse up without hearing this story out of nowhere, just out of the context of the conversation, just brought right. that up out of nowhere when I had that in my mind. And like I say, I don't know. And I'm confused. I'm like, what just happened? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like something felt different. What just happened? Get back in the car and I'm not saying anything, I'm like looking all around and I didn't say anything, but I'm confused, right? My daughter. Grace is in the back and she writes down on a piece of paper a sentence and hands it up to me. And what she wrote down was maybe it was a test. I hadn't talked to her about any of it. All right. And she was prompted to write that down and hand it up to me. Point is, love matters. Right. Right. Often when he tests us to see where we're at spiritually, it'll be a test about where our love is at. And loving our neighbor matters. Matters a lot. I guess here's my question. This is how it's going to relate, and we'll link these two things together. Loving neighbor matters, but is that the most important thing? No. What would you say the most important thing is? Loving God. Loving God. When I mean, it's... I kind of don't want to be this guy, but it's like, it's right there. Yeah. Love your God first, then love your neighbor, right? Right. Yeah, and that's the connection I wanted to make. So Jesus was asked at one point. He was asked at one point, and he also asked another at one point what the greatest commandment is, mm-hmm. right? And this isn't something that was like brand new out of nowhere. This was like a well-known 
thing. This is how you would define the law, right? Right. And in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, he responded to that question of which is the great commandment. By the way, they were trying to test him to see how he would answer. They were trying to trip him up. Mm-hmm. And Yeshua, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He was asked what the greatest commandment singular is. And just as a side note, he was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 there. So he was quoting the law. He wasn't inventing something new, but then he added, this is the great and foremost commandment, the number one, right? The second, the number two commandment is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus 19, 18. Mm -hmm. So both of those are quotes from the law. And then just to make sure that we wouldn't twist his words to say he's adding a new commandment so we can disregard the law, like theology says that we can. He added there, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. What he's saying is every other commandment hangs on one of those. It's like it summarizes. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that on the podcast before. It's summarizing. The two nails, yeah. Right. But he's very careful there to make it clear that loving the Father is the foremost thing. It's the most important thing. As important as loving our neighbor is, loving our Father is first. Why does that order matter? Beyond just... God is supreme, right? Why would you say that order matters? I've always thought that loving loving God conditions you for loving your fellow man. You, it, 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 it's a get, it's a learning and teaching at the same time when you love God. You you learn to love unconditionally, but then he teaches you how to love other people. Right. right? And a lot of times, you know, it's you find strength. And this I don't know I don't know how to word this without making it sound bad. So bear with me. Mm -hmm. I feel like having his love in you makes it easier. I shouldn't say makes it easier. I guess, it, I guess I could, I could say that makes it easier for you to carry through loving people, even when it's hard to love those people. Right. I mean, some people feel unlovable sometimes. Yeah. Right? And yeah. And I mean, and even when you, and even just in the sense that, you know, pouring yourself out all the time, you can feel real empty real quick. So, I mean, you, but if you're constantly flowing with, with God's love, I feel like your batteries aren't going to drain. Right. You know what I mean? I get, I, I don't know how, I don't know how to word this to where it sounds like real eloquent in my head. I know what I'm saying. I heard a really awesome quote from this week, actually from a, a pastor. I like a lot. Uh, I think it was, there's actually two pastors. I like Well, there's more than two pastors I like a lot, but two with this accent. (laughs) I'm trying to think of which one. It's a Scottish accent they have. I think it was Alistair Begg that said it. He said that the quality of the love given is dependent upon the capacity of the one giving it. Quality of love depends upon our capacity. I think that's kind of what you're saying. Our capacity as human beings, very, very limited. What's his capacity? 
There is none. There is none. It, well, it's unlimited. Yeah. It's infinite. There's there's no limit to the capacity of his love, which means there's no limit to the quality of the love he gives, unlike us. And this is why I think the order matters, other than him being sovereign and supreme, right? Obviously, right. he should be our number one in everything. That's right. obvious. But as far as like the expression of our love, why it matters in reference to the expression of our love, right? right? It has to do with the flow. Go ahead. You were right. going to say something. No, I was going to say, I think this kind of goes back to the the woman we were talking about in in the beginning. Yes. Had she loved God first and foremost and then loved her neighbor when her neighbor failed her, God would be there. And that, that I think that's bingo. I think that's kind of my underlying. Sorry, getting emotional. I think that's no, kind of good. my underlying. Let it out, man. Right. Let it flow. Let it, let it be heard. <laughs> right. Cause that's kind of like where I was, you know, where, you know, all the people that I had known from childhood and from, from then from, you know, mid elementary school to high school, everything from there had failed. Yes. So it was easy to turn around. And at the time it was easy to turn around and point the fingers at my neighbors at the church. Right. And I say, and I'm not, and I'm not saying the Ecclesia church, I'm saying the, the building, the, the building church. Right. Yep. Yeah. Like how can, how can any of this be real? If so much evil was allowed to be in the church, Absolutely. in that building, right? Where that was putting my love and faith in people and not God. Correct. You know what I mean? So I think, I think it's for lack of a better word, you're fail safe. You know, if you have that supreme loving relationship with God, even when your relationships fail on an earthly scale, they won't fail on a godly scale. Correct. He, he will help you feel what he feels for people. Even right. when you and your, and your human weakness couldn't because they've hurt you or they failed you. He'll help you feel that. And, and that's what I mean by the flow, right? Right. He is the one with the infinite capacity. So we have to allow his love to flow into our cup, our vessel. We're a vessel, and a vessel's limited in how much it can hold. He's not a vessel, right? He's a source. He's a spring. Right. And, and the reason, you know, that terminology is often used, the spring, is it, it, has no, it has no limit that we can see. You know, look at the split rock at Oreb. Or, yeah, was it Oreb? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when through Moses, he split the rock, and then water gushed out. It came from nowhere. It wasn't a natural, normal explainable spring right he, he opened a rock which is very symbolic of himself he calls himself the rock and then water flowed out from the rock as much as they needed until right. they didn't need it anymore right that's that's a physical representation of a spiritual issue right think mm-hmm. of think of the water as his love right he's right. the rock and that water that love flows into us our vessel and as we pour out that water on others, which is our call, we're, we're not called to hoard up the love for ourselves and never share it. As we share that love with others and our, our vessel empties, we let him fill more of us, mm-hmm. right? But to pour water, the water source has to be above the vessel, right? Right. You can't pour water from below the vessel. Right. And this is why the order matters, I think. To, to, to give it a picture, a visualization, 
loving him second would be like taking the vessel and the, the other vessels, which is our neighbor, and elevating that above the water source. And once your vessel's empty, you can't fill it back up again. You right. have to keep the water source above everything else to keep the vessels full. Right. It's the only way it's going to work right. If that girl that we had talked about had the water source above the vessel, she wouldn't have ran on empty and fallen away. Right? right. The only reason I got out to help that guy, Daniel, is what he said his name was. The only reason I got out to help that guy was based upon my love for the father. He pressed me. Right. Right. Him being my number one, he pressed me and caused me to feel what he felt felt for that guy or told me he felt for that guy. Right. In that moment. Right. That's, that's what he pressed on me. I didn't know him. Right. I had no reason to love him. No explainable reason other than his love flowing into me. Right. And him pressing me to share it. Right. Right. Whether he was a person or not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm still on the fence on that. You know, maybe it was a test, but, but that's how love should work. Right. That's how mm -hmm. love should ebb and flow for us. Does it kind of make sense? Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm picturing as you're, as you're talking about this, I'm picturing an aqueduct. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I'm talking about? Yep. The, the vertical gardens where the spring or stream comes from the, from the top and it flows down and to the first level and then the first level, the ducks or whatever fill up and then it flows down the second. I mean, I picture like God's love being the spring from the top that's pouring into Christians. And as it pours into Christians and fills us up, then we have no other. And I think this is what's really neat about it is there's no other place for that love to go, but out. So if we fill ourselves with that love, eventually we get full and we, we have no other place to put that love, but in the world. Yes. Right. So love flows into Christians the Christian love flows into the world and then eventually, because like you said, he is an unyielding spring. Eventually the world's filled with Christ's love. I love that visualization. I love that. And none of it works if you bring the spring and put it at the bottom. Right. None of that can work unless the, the spring, the source, your source, right. capital S is at the top. It's the only way it works. Right. Order matters. It matters a lot. There's a reason I'm, emphasizing this as our conversation goes and how it relates to, to what he pressed on me. So this is, this brings us to my anchor text. Yes. Oh, that sounds so, it is. sounds so smart. Doesn't it? it sounds yeah, like it a does. college course. So our anchor text is revelation chapter two, verses four through five. And this is Jesus in his message to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, the, okay. the, the, the seven churches. Mm-hmm. Right, that he's giving these messages to. This is the message to Ephesus. It was seven, right? Seven churches? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't know why I second guess myself there. That was weird. Now you got me second guess myself. Should we check? We can fact check ourselves. Okay. Yes. It'd be totally transparent to the listeners that I don't have even some simple things memorized. Pretty sure it's seven. Pretty churches. sure it was seven. Because we talked about Philadelphia and. Laodicea, and there were five others, right? Yeah, there's seven. Okay. And I feel so stupid for having to look that up. My goodness. Anchor text was pretty heavy. That weighed you down. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> I couldn't think straight. 
Okay, and it says this, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. This is after he said some good things, but they were doing good things outwardly. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's important to remember. They were doing good things outwardly. But then he says, I have this against you. You've left your first love or forsaken your first love. It's another way to word that. And we've already established, I was going to ask, but we've already established what our first love is or should be. Mm-hmm. Jesus tells us, him, he's our first love. Number one, love the Lord, your Father, your Creator, your Maker, your everything, your Most High with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's number one. That is your first love. So when he tells the Ephesians here that they've forsaken their first love, who have they neglected? God. God. They've done the outward things for their neighbor, but they've neglected the source. Why are you talking right at me with this, Carl? You're the only feels, one in here. It feels like you're talking right to me. Oh my goodness. I was staring at the bookshelf. No, it's all right. Over here. <laughs> I was like, because I mean, like, this is what, you know, again, it kind of goes back to my to my testimony where, you know, it's like, like my life aligned with at some point or time with the other churches where, you know, I'm, I'm doing the doing the right stuff. I'm doing good for people. Like you said, he praised them for their good deeds towards our neighbor but had forgotten their first love. Right. Right. So you doubted. And even if it wasn't the love, they doubted him. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm like, I mean, I feel that. Yeah. I, I know, I know what that feels like and it's not good. No, it's not. It's an awful feeling. So, cause I've been there too. I've been there too. So how to frame this question. They're doing outward things, right? Mm-hmm. In the context of this anchor text, they're doing outward things right. So think of the Pharisees. You know, at one point, Yeshua talked about the Pharisees, how outwardly they seemed righteous. But he called them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they looked good. Mm-hmm. On the inside, they were dead, right? right. Filled with bones and uncleanness. That's what he's kind of talking about there. So they're doing things outwardly that's good. So what does it look like in practice then to love the Most High? To keep him as our first love. Because it's got to be more than just a feeling, right? Right. Right. Yeah, it's where, it's where you, you you have to bring in the actionable love. Mm-hmm. You have to, I mean, you can't just say, oh, I love you. I expect that to be enough. You have to actively show that you love him. Right. And generally that means following the law. Yeah. Obedience, right? Mm-hmm. I really love the word for love in Hebrew. And I know we usually talk about agape, the Greek mm-hmm. for love. And that's an awesome study too. I, I, I like the Greek also. But very often what you'll find is the, the Greek terms used in the New Testament are just the nearest equivalent to the Hebrew words that define the concept. Mm-hmm. You find that very often. So the Hebrew foundation is very important to understand what's being conveyed, right? right? Right. In Hebrew, it's ahaba. That's love in Hebrew, ahaba. And Hebrews have Hebrew words have roots, and it helps you to understand what meaning is being fully conveyed. Ahaba means love, but what's the meaning of love? Because the the idea of love can get easily corrupted. Right. With our with our Western Greco-Roman mindset, we treat love more like, like we've talked about before, but it's more like an emotion. 
Right. It's a I, feeling. That's why I asked yeah. that. Is it, is it just yeah. a feeling? Saying I love tacos can be a lot different than I love my wife. Yes. Should be. Right. Hope it is. It's more than an emotional response. Right. Right. Ahab is the root for Ahaba in the Hebrew there. And it literally means, I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds on this, but it literally means to give. To give. It's action oriented. Mm-hmm. So like that, that, visualization that you shared he gives his love in the in the the representation of the water there and then as we're filled up we naturally give that to those around us it's a giving process it's it's a verb Mm -hmm. it's not a feeling right it's not just a description it's something you do for someone we have no problem with that when it comes to to our neighbor loving our neighbor you know you'll you'll never hear it preached that when you love your neighbor you just feel good for them, right? You have this right. inward lovey, lovey-dovey attitude toward them. They always preach it as giving to them, helping them, doing for them. If you see them in need, help their need, right? right. Serve them. But then when we come to God, when we come to the Father, we treat it more like it's, it's a feeling. I don't really have to mm. obey anymore because I get his grace. Right. Right. I don't really have to to make these sacrifices to to pursue what pleases him according to his instruction. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to give to him. But it's not love anymore. If you're not giving, it's not love. And here's here's the pitfall and here's how I'm linking this together. I know it's kinda it seems like it's going off the rails, but I don't think it is. We have conflated loving our neighbor with loving God. In almost every in almost every area where we're where we're commended by the churches to do something for God, we're doing something for our neighbor. Right. Is what we're really doing. Very, very infrequently are we doing something that's just for God and not for the benefit of someone else. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. That creates this gray area, this weird gray area where your neighbor gets more of you. Than the Most High does, and the Most High is the one that's saying, "I need all of you." And then that love can flow to your neighbor naturally, the way it should, right? right? But when you mess the order up, when you start elevating, and this is this is where I'm coming to you, you start to elevate your love for your neighbor to a point where it starts to exceed your love for the Father. Right? You flip the order, completely flip the order, and love for the Most High has become second on the list. So it's no longer the great commandment. Loving your neighbor has become the great commandment. You just call that loving the Father. But loving the Father is down here second. All right. Yeah, your action ability towards your neighbor is what you're using as the placebo of of the Father. Correct. Look how, look how much I'm doing for my neighbor. Obviously, I love the Father. Well, you're loving your neighbor. Not direct. You're directly loving your neighbor, which should fl- yeah. I get, I don't want to repeat what you just said, but I'm just I get it. Yeah, it disrupts the flow. Right, it disrupts the natural flow. And as I've seen experientially, we get to a place where we think we're loving our neighbor, but because we've we've diminished our love for the Father so much, it begins to corrupt our love for neighbor too. So we're not loving either the way we should. The only way you're ever going to love your neighbor the way you should, the way he wants you to, is if you're loving him first, if you're putting him first. Otherwise, right. you're going to 
begin compromising. And we'll get to that on the second half, but it, it leads to compromise. And, and as a friend of mine shared yesterday, and I love this, compromise is like putting cracks in your foundation. Every time you compromise, it puts a little crack in the foundation. And if you don't turn from it and repent of it so that he can seal that, eventually the foundation becomes so weak and broken that the father can't build what he wants to build on it. Right. He can't use you like he should be able to use you because he doesn't have all of you. Your neighbor has all of you. And you've cracked the foundation by compromising against him. And now your house is unstable. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We think we're doing good, but we're really doing more damage than we realize. Right? right. And it creates situations like that girl that walked away from all of it. Right? Because right. she was immersed in this this church attitude of loving neighbor first, loving him second. And when this didn't, conf- when this didn't conflate, when she started reading scripture, right. right, their love for her and her sensibilities caused her to see that the Bible didn't love her sensibilities as much as the church told her that they did. And she didn't like that. So she walked away from the father. Right. That foundation crumbled. Crumbled. Because the compromises that she had been taught broke her foundation. And this is the danger. It doesn't just damage your foundation. When you teach that to others and you share that with others, it can damage their foundation too. And I suspect that's what happened with her. She was raised in that church environment by her own admission, right? Mm -hmm. And she was taught a compromising theology that was cracking her foundation. Right. And then she comes to the Bible, (laughs) right? Starts reading it and seeing this isn't what the Father says. Rather than turning to him and allowing him to seal a foundation, which he can do, right? That's called restoration. He can, he can seal your foundation and fix it. She didn't do that. She embraced the broken foundation and walked away with it. Right. That's sad. Very sad. Yeah. I, want, I was going to say, I think it was interesting, too, that she brought up the fact that, you know, that not having an answer wasn't good enough. So she studied more and and didn't want to have just this attitude of, well, that's God for you, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, again, I mean, that just kind of reiterated the, the, the cracked foundation of, you know, you're never going to build up on this because it's, it's just going to fall on itself. Yeah. I mean, let me, let me pose this question to you. And I don't know this kind of, I don't want to get too, too far in the weeds with this too, but you know, we, we talked about how sometimes your neighbor is hard to love. Mm-hmm. If you, and I know the answer, this is a loaded question. If you saw your neighbor doing something that was harmful, would you not stop him? Even if you knew, or so answer that, answer that portion first. Yes. You, of course we all would. But then what happens when he turns around and he tells you, don't tell me what to do. I know what's good for me. Mm-hmm. Would you, is love there walking away from that person and going, well, I tried. It's on him now. Or is love 
even in that face of that adversity going, yeah, but what you're doing is harmful. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep telling you what you're doing is harmful. Even if I still get thrown underneath the bus every time I do it. Right. Obviously the right answer is true love persists. Right. For the good of your neighbor. Right. And I think that's where it's hard for a lot of people because they, they experience that they, Hey, what's going on? It's not right. They routinely get thrown underneath the bus. That's hard. It's hard to stick in there and love through that. But I feel like that's where if you're, if your love is flowing from the everlasting source, eventually you'll get filled back up and you go back at it. Correct. Yeah. So you get, you get knocked over. You're at, you're, you're, you get knocked over. Your vessel's empty. You stand your vessel back upright and get more love. Yeah. Something he's been pressing me with a lot in prayer the past few days is boldness. Boldness. I think that's what it comes down to. You're talking about, because I struggle with caring too much about what people think. Right. I'll be honest and transparent about that. And it causes me to be a little cowardly about sharing when I know I should, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, if he prompts me to, to kneel down on the sidewalk while I'm walking and start praying, my first thought is, what are these people driving by going to think? Right. And it shouldn't be like that. You know what I mean? Like we should, we shouldn't care what people think when it comes to, to praising him or serving him or obeying him and doing what he asks us to do. But I think most of us probably struggle with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not all, you know, but that's something I've been asking for a lot the past few days is, you know, I've got some of these other things pretty well, but my boldness is weak. Right. I need to be better with that right. so that I can persist. Right. With a neighbor that I know is headed toward a cliff. Mm-hmm. Kind of. That kind of reminds me of a story. Kind of a lighten up. Lighten it up a little bit. So do you remember in high school? Because I, I think at one point in time we had the lunch shift together. And at one point we didn't. And at one point we did. Do you remember how there was a group of of kids that would always pray at lunch? Mm-hmm. Right towards the end. And even through administration saying, hey, you can't do that, kept doing it. <clears throat> well, whenever, I don't know, it was like the third or fourth time that they had done that. Uh, I'm not going to mention her name, but one of the girls invited me to go up because she was from my church. I was like, nah, it's all right. And she's like, why? It's like, what? All these people around, everybody be staring at us. Mm-hmm. She's like, "So, we're just praying." <laughs> I was, and it's it's like even just that simple couple of words, it hit me like a ton of bricks. So, so, like, like as if to say, like, you know, if it had all ended, and you know, I got to you know heaven, why didn't you pray? Why weren't you praying at lunch with the, when you were invited to pray at lunch? Right. I was afraid about what everybody else would say. So? Who cares what they think? Yeah. You're doing the right thing. Right? And I think how whenever whenever I kind of get to feeling that way, I kind of go back to that. Like, so? <laughs> are you doing the right thing? 
just a little. That's what I mean. That's what if if I had to, if somebody were to ask me what what would be like my advice. So, yeah, like, and I know it's a lot easier said than done. It's no, it, but it's it re- the truth. It really is. But yeah, I mean, it's the truth. It's you know, would you would you rather answer for doing the right thing or not doing anything at all? Right. So, so you didn't do that on purpose, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so. I want to read our anchor text. <laughs> did it hit you? It hit you hard, didn't it? You just said so. Oh, I did. <laughs> Sorry. I was in the middle of taking a drink. And <laughs> so, again, our anchor. T- <laughs> you just got to skip it. Our yeah. anchor text. Our anchor text is, uh, again, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Those of you listening to kind of meditate on that and ask yourself, what does that mean to you? Have you forgotten your first love? What can you do to correct that? Think about that while we take our break. Uh, this week, we're going to play another song. Well, I guess since we're uploading these episodes out of order, it's the first time we're playing from him, an artist named ASAP Preach, and this is All of Me. And uh, again, we'll continue this discussion on the other side. Enjoy. I gotta release, I can feel I almost ain't got up and quit Try to hold on to my past with all of my breath I can feel that if I let go of all of myself I can get rid of the trash that's giving me hell If I open up my eyes, I see my reflection Looking up to the sky, I receive my blessing Just hoping when I die, I see what I question Giving God of my life, what is my aggression? Take it all, Lord Devil cooking, I wish you would die then He's looking at my life, he's putting in my hands I don't want it, I couldn't survive in one moment without Jesus, he's taking all my sins I could see it was following all, I wasn't following God, I guess the problem is all And I noticed when I woke up an obvious flaw, now I give out of my God, now I give out of my God Yeah, yeah, got me reading, I'm needing this awful to Jesus, I know you believe that it's so true Now you got me whatever I go through, I can do this by myself, I give it all to you, yeah But now I'm free you. you were the light when I couldn't see And then you called my name I ain't the same and I couldn't be I fell off the path and made my own Looking for peace Already had it but my spirit was weak It's here when you speak This fear is in me As clear as can be You have been defeating the sand Just carrying me God yeah. Even when I've been in the mood And I feel alone And suffering long You're bringing me home yeah. 
See, I don't wanna be where I was. Feeling empty, God, I get so tempted to run. But you came even when I cursed your name. Every drop of blood I spilled, you took that blame. You took my chains, you took my fears. I let you rain. You wiped my tears, you healed my pain. I needed you all of me. It's making me sick yeah. All them times was tempted to sin I just sit back and never persist Never press on into prayer, God A wicked Christian, that's a paradox yeah. I Satan named up with the barrel pop, Trying to run back to my God He said better not But I don't really care what you gotta say Cause you whispered in my ear I did a lot of things I done spurned God's name in a lot of ways Always forgave and took me back When I put my pride away And now I'm repping Jesus And putting death to evil And I may not want no But I'ma always need him And yeah I felt defeated Cause I've committed treason But I can see him bleeding On Calvary for heathen So all that drug dealing Drunkenness and fiending It's covered by the blood And I'll never get subpoenaed I'll never get exposed When Satan's trying to creep And I'll tell him hell's heat And I've been restored to Eden Whoa Giving you all of me back again that was all of me by asap preach it's one of my favorites that he does it's one of my favorite songs in general actually so we're talking about first love again theme that he's had on me a lot the past week is that place of choosing a decision point i think the first part of this discussion we talked about that a lot right with Mm -hmm. the oaks right I, i feel like that kind of represents that decision point and it's really at the at, at an underlying level, it's a choice between life and death, right? Right. Those are at the end of the day, those are our only two options when we leave this when we leave this place, life or death. Right. The other day, and like I say again, this is the final final our final discussion on what he laid on me that a storm's coming. The other day, I you know I've told you, Chris, I do prayer walks a lot. Right. That's my mountain. You know how I kind of clear my head to just talk to him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I prefer to do it at night, to be honest with you, because there's nobody around. It's quiet. Right. You know, as opposed to going to the park. I'm going to do it during the day. I'd rather be at the park. But I have to drive to get there. So I have a good place I can walk here where I live. Mm-hmm. You know, so at night I do that. The other day I got prompted to do that pretty late. It's midnight, I think. And I stepped outside and it was sprinkling. I'm like, well, great. Can't do that. You know, right. I guess he didn't want me to do this. Maybe the prompting was wrong. Maybe I, I, I 
saw it right. But I look up, right? And I can see all the stars. It was weird. I'm getting rained on. And it's like a clear sky. Right. There's like one cloud over me. Right. No joke. Surrounded by a clear, a crystal clear sky and one cloud sprinkling on me. Right. Was that Sunday night by chance? This past Sunday? It might have been. I don't remember the day, to be honest. Okay. I think it was during the week. Oh, okay. I think it was during the week last right week. On. Maybe like Thursday. I just asked because we, we had a similar situation Sunday where we just we were out and it was like sunny all around and it just started raining. And you look <laughs> up and it's like. Are you trying to tell me it's something? It's sunny. Yeah. Like I don't get it. <laughs> like the cartoon. It was like this rain cloud following, following the character around, around and yeah. nobody else. Yeah, that's yeah. what it felt like. Like I say, it was completely clear and I'm standing there. It's it's just a mist. Like it's not mm-hmm. bad. So I'm like, oh, I'll just I'll stand here and pray and just stare at this cloud going by. So I just stare at it and it moves by pretty quick. And then again, crystal clear above me. So I wait for the for this shift because you know it. it there's the, the weird period where it looks like there's no cloud above you, but you're still getting rained on because mm-hmm. it shifts as it falls. But so I wait for it to go away. I'm like, okay, so I can do this prayer walk now. And I notice this these flashes of light over the uh, uh, houses can't see where it's coming from. I'm like, well, that's probably not a storm, right? Because I'm looking up and I'm like, it is, it was so clear. Like you could see every star. It was like one of those crystal clear skies. You know what I mean? There's right. no obscuration at all. It was beautiful, you know, and that doesn't always mm-hmm. happen in town. Usually there's some sort of pollution or something. That's ambient you, light. Yeah, that, ambient yeah. light or, or just misting or something like that where you get some obscuration. There's none. I'm like, that can't be a storm. I wonder if people are shooting fireworks or something because they do that sometimes randomly, you know. And I go walking, and it's not. It's a storm. But it's in the distance. And like I say, he'd been pressing me all week about this choice between life and death. Like everywhere I go, like it was weird. Like I, I took my littlest one to the park one day. I know, bear with me, when I tell stories, I then go off to other stories and then come back to the original story. This is mm-hmm. just me. This is just Carl. This is the real, the real Carl without, a, without an outline or an agenda. I just talk. <laughs> we were at the park, and I took my littlest over the pier, and there's ivy. Or, or I'm sorry, not ivy, lilies. Right. Uh, lily pads, mm-hmm. right? And we were walking off the pier, and my littlest one noticed all of the lilies on one side of the pier, all dead, all dead and rotten dragonflies flying all over them and the other side they were all alive and you know bright green and beautiful right and my littlest the four-year-old goes look everything's dead on this side but everything's alive on this side and it hit me life and death like this decision point this Mm -hmm. weird in between you know i take my oldest the next day i think it was the next day to the same park and i found this this place that nobody goes to it's like there's this trail it goes off the path into the woods. Mm-hmm. And then there's this, this round area where it ends and nobody goes down there. And it's like, you know, this quiet place I can go to pray and meditate. You know what I mean? And right. be left alone, but still feel like I'm in the woods, but actually be in town. You know, mm-hmm. if you can handle the ticks, because ticks are awful this year. My yeah, goodness, side note, worst I've ever seen. Yeah, not cold enough winter. Yeah, but yeah. yeah it's awful. But so I take her down to show to show her this, right? And it's, it's very shaded down there because there's, it's right in the woods. There was this one little patch of light surrounded by shade. One patch of light. I didn't notice it. Grace goes up to it. I hadn't told her this 
you know, what he'd be impressed me on or you know, experience with her sister. And she goes, look, it's like in the light, there's life. And outside in the darkness is death. She says this out loud. And I looked and she's right. It's like this patch of light is just always there. So it was like, there's all this, this growth happening where the light is and all around it. It's like mud, just, you know, every once in a while you'll see like a, a, a blade of grass and that's it. Life and death. Light and dark, right? So that's in the back of my mind anyway when I'm taking this walk. And I'm walking, and seriously, to the east, to the right of me, perfectly clear skies. Beautiful sky. Right. Not a cloud to be seen. And it's like there's this line drawn directly over my head, and everything to the west is one of the most violent lightning storms I've ever seen. Hmm. Right in the middle. Like right in the middle. This storm never hit us, by the way. Skirted us. But I could see all this with all this in the back of my mind. I'm like, this is interesting, given everything else that's been laid upon me the past month. You know what I mean? Right. I'm standing here between peace and calm and a devastating storm. And it's like we're at that place where we have a choice. We can go right or left. Next day, I turn straight to Luke 12, where Jesus is talking about, you see the clouds forming in the west, and you know a storm is coming. I kid you not. Wow. That was one of the several confirmations. I believe we are at that decision point. Many of us individually and probably collectively, we're at this decision point. What direction are we going to go? And I think it all comes down to that, that question, what's your first love? I think that's the decision, mm -hmm. right? That, that defines the decision between life and death. Who is your first love? Is he your first love or is he not? And that decides which direction you go. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And also, too, it's, you know, a decision point to if you are putting your neighbor above God, I mean, it's a decision to turn around and realign yes. that priority. The scary danger of that is we can so easily delude ourselves because we were just like Ephesus in, in Revelation 2 there. We can do those outward things so well, right? We can do so much for our neighbor and do that outward stuff so good that we can genuinely trick ourselves into believing we've chosen life. Hmm. We can genuinely trick ourselves and even give him lip service, say, I believe in, in you. I pray to you. I'm doing the outward stuff. But you've forsaken your first love. You can be so deceived, self-deceived, into believing you've chosen life when you're really choosing discipline, right? And you mm -hmm. have to get to a place of, of genuine honesty with yourself to accept the correction and do with it what needs to be done with it, right? right? Rather than continuing in the deception. And that's where we come to the example that I wanted to highlight to drive this home. Because I think he exemplifies this very well, and that's King Jehoshaphat. We'll just call him King J okay. to make it easy. It's a lot of words, Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's a tough word. It's a tough yeah. spelling. Do you know how to spell it? Don't look. No, I don't. Can you guess? You don't even want to guess, do you? No. Okay. We'll just call him King J. Okay. <laughs> in his account, the, the, the account I'm looking at is Second Chronicles, and his account starts in chapter 17. And he was pretty awesome. He succeeded Asa, who was pretty good. And it says about Jehoshaphat in verse 3 of chapter 17 there that 
Yahweh was with Jehoshaphat with J. You think Yahweh called him J? You think he always called him Jehoshaphat? I mean, you think he has like little I probably like that. I would probably lean more towards like Joe. Joe. I think God would speak to Jehoshaphat how Jehoshaphat would expect him to speak. Yeah. So if everybody called him just Joe, I think I would say Joe to him. Oh, okay. But for for record's sake, it's probably more <laughs> more appropriate, pro- to, call appropriate to call Jehoshaphat. We're in the weeds. Yo, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Verse three says Yahweh was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days and did not seek the Baals, so the false gods, mm-hmm. but sought the God of his father, followed his commandments, and did not act as Israel did. So important background here: what he means by did not act as Israel did. Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. So this is well after the, the kingdom has been divided. The kingdom was divided into after Solomon, for Solomon's sin. Mm-hmm. Israel to the north and Judah to the south, right? Israel had 10 of the tribes. So there were two different kings reigning simultaneously at all times. Right. That's what he means. Israel went completely off the rails. Judah went back and forth between following Yahweh like they should have and wavering and giving lip service and sinning badly. It went back and forth. Right. Mm-hmm. Israel really didn't. They just went off the rails, went full bore into Baal worship and didn't look back. Right. Right. That's what he means here when he says that he didn't do as Israel did. Okay. Jehoshaphat reigned at the same time as King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. So probably right. the e- the most evil power couple in Israelite history were those two. Right. Right. They they took the paganism, the idolatry and multiplied it by a thousand to the point of sacrificing children in the whole nine yards. Right. They were evil on the face of it. Everybody knew how evil they were. They didn't hide it. They didn't put a mask on their evil. This is important for Jehoshaphat's story. Okay. But they were very, very on the face, evil and, and fully committed to Baal. Right. Jehoshaphat sought Yahweh. He loved Yahweh. Yahweh even compares him to David before he says David in his earlier days to to distinguish between, you know, how David uh, sinned with Bathsheba and killed Uriah. What he's comparing, to, that's not to say he didn't love David and didn't forgive him. What he's doing here is he's, he's comparing Jehoshaphat not just to David a tall. He's comparing him to David before he sinned even, mm. before he sinned okay. greatly. So he's saying Jehoshaphat was great. That's what Yahweh is saying here. He was great. Right. He followed me. He was wholly committed. He obeyed me. He did all the things. Right. But then it talks about an alliance that Jehoshaphat sought with Ahab. And he didn't just seek an alliance with Ahab, he even linked himself to Ahab by marriage, which is a really big deal well, with yeah, loyalty. That's a big thing, yeah. The reason this is kind of stunning is again, Ahab's evil was well known. It was not secret, it was not hidden. Everybody knew how evil Ahab was, Jehoshaphat knew. Yet he still sought an alliance with him and a marriage covenant with him. So you start to see signs that King Jay here, he loves the Most High, but he's starting to elevate his love for his neighbor Ahab a little bit higher than he should. Mm-hmm. It's flirting and it's becoming dangerous. And we see how dangerous that gets in chapter 18. Because then it talks about how he not only 
he not only allied himself by marriage with Ahab, but then he goes to Israel, to Samaria, to Ahab's capital, and has a party with Ahab, right? So they're celebrating together in Israel. And remember, this is Ahab and Jezebel. They didn't hide their idolatry. Right, right, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. So this celebration would have included, I guarantee you, it would have involved the idolatry of Ahab's house. Jehoshaphat goes and takes part in this. And then he allows King Ahab to convince him to not only party with him, but King Ahab has an enemy that he wants to attack. And he convinces Jehoshaphat to join him in battle. So now Jehoshaphat is dragging Judah's army into this compromise. Remember we talked about compromise in the top half a little bit. It chips away our foundation. One compromise will lead to another compromise if you don't repent and another and another and another until it just shatters your foundation. Right? Right. And again, this is the Jehoshaphat that was just compared to David. So he's really flirting with elevating love for neighbor above. Mm -hmm. Really flirting with it. Ahab brings in all these false prophets. So, so Jehoshaphat wanted to hear from Yahweh. So he's still seeking him about this battle. I mean, right. and Jehoshaphat asks Ahab, please inquire first for the word of Yahweh. Says this in chapter 18, verse 4. So he wants to hear what Yahweh says about this battle first. So that's good. Right. He's inquiring of him still. So Ahab brings in all these prophets of Baal, right? Right. And they're all prophesying great victory and, and, and all this. You know what I mean? They're lying. Right. Jehoshaphat's still in touch at this point with the Most High to see through this. Okay, he sees through it. He knows this isn't right. And he asks Ahab, is there not a prophet of Yahweh here that we may inquire of him? So Jehoshaphat sees through that these are false prophets of Baal, but he's still sitting there. See, this is what, what, what bothers me with this entire text. He's sitting there on a th- they're sitting side by side on thrones together. Jehoshaphat sees all these false prophets prophesying lie, lies, but he's still sitting there. Right. He's still sitting there with one of the most evil kings that ever lived, side by side with him. So I apologize. I, I want to back up just a, just a verse here, just to highlight how much in the danger zone Jehoshaphat is with elevating his love for neighbor here over and above his love for Yahweh. So right. it says in verse 3 of chapter 18, Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against remote Gilead? That's who he wants to attack. Mm-hmm. And Jehoshaphat said to Ahab, I am as you are, and my people as your people, and we will be with you in the battle. He basically says, you're my brother. Of course, we'll be there with you. Um, you're my brother, and we love you. Right? Right. Love for neighbor. Then he sees all these false prophets again, and he asks, is there not a prophet of Yahweh? Well, Ahab didn't want to bring the prophet of Yahweh because he said that he always prophesied bad things for him. Well, that should have been your first clue that you needed to change direction. Right? right. So he resists it, but Je- Jehoshaphat insists. So he brings in a prophet named Micaiah. And of course, Micaiah didn't prophesy good things. In fact, he prophesies, this is what he says. He says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And Yahweh said, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. 
So he's saying that not only are you going to get defeated badly, you're going to die. This is going to be your last battle. Right. Ahab had pushed it way too far. Ahab did a lot. He'd murdered people. He'd forsaken Yahweh. He, like I said, he committed hor- horrendous idolatry. He'd pushed it too far. Yahweh gave him several chances to repent. He wouldn't. He right. chose death. Mm-hmm. He, he was at a decision point, and he willingly, repeatedly chose death. Remember, Jehoshaphat's sitting here next to Ahab, and he hears this. He, he hears and sees the false prophets prophesying lies. He hears the prophecy from the true prophet from Yahweh. And this true prophet even explains to Ahab that, you know, Yahweh sent a deceiving spirit into these, these false prophets to draw you to the place where you would die. And I believe that this was his last decision point. I believe this was Ahab's last chance to hit his knees and repent in right. genuineness because Yahweh even has his prophet warn him, these guys are lying to you. I know because I sent, sent the them, liar. Yeah, I sent them, yeah. Yeah, and Ahab ignores him. But I expect Ahab to ignore him because we know Ahab's evil. Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, was compared to David and loved Yahweh wholeheartedly. You would expect him to pay heed, correct? You would think. You would think. He's hearing this, but he doesn't. Not only does he choose to commit to going into battle with Ahab, he allows Ahab to convince him to wear all his royal robes so he stands out while Ahab wears a disguise. Ahab literally tried to get Jehoshaphat killed. He tried to trick the armies into killing Jehoshaphat because they, he, he knew that they would think he was Ahab, which is what almost happens here, right? right? Jehoshaphat plays along because his love for neighbor exceeded his love for the Most High. He heard what the Most High said through his prophet, ignored it because he viewed Ahab as his brother and elevated his love for Ahab above his love for the Most High, which caused him to compromise in his love for the Most High. Jehoshaphat should have gone home. Pray for Jehoshaphat. Pray for Ahab. Sorry. Pray for Ahab. Love Ahab. Care about Ahab. Hope that Ahab repents. But don't follow Ahab in his sin. Right. Right. Your love for neighbor shouldn't reach the point where you are willing to forsake the ways of your father in order to make your neighbor happy. And that's what Jehoshaphat was doing here. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, just briefly summarizing 18, what happens is the en- enemies. See, Jehoshaphat thinks it's, it's Ahab, but it says that Yahweh moved to rescue Jehoshaphat, to turn them away from him, right? So right. even though Jehoshaphat is sinning greatly here, Yahweh makes sure to rescue him so that he doesn't die, which is a picture of how boundless his love is. Right. Well, ours isn't, right? Then it says a random archer shoots randomly into the air and hits Ahab right in the seam of his armor. <laughs> and kills him. Right? It would seem random. Yeah, seemed random. They didn't even know they were doing it. So his disguise didn't work. So Ahab dies. Jehoshaphat lives. But then Jehoshaphat comes home. Comes home in safety. It says we're in chapter 19 now. And this is the, the important part for our discussion today. So again, before I read that, Jehoshaphat elevated his love for his neighbor above his love for the Most High. I know I'm emphasizing that a lot, and I apologize, but it's very important. Because... I think Jehoshaphat's sin here is the sin of the churches. I believe that's what we've done. We've taken our love for our neighbors, which we should love our neighbor, but we've elevated that love so high 
that it's exceeded our love for the most for the most high so that we don't we don't take his expectations and his words as seriously as we should jehoshaphat heard what the most high was saying but he ignored it in favor of following his neighbor pursuing his neighbor making his neighbor happy and i think we do the same thing we we want the crowds and we want the we want our neighbors to be happy we want our neighbors to feel good so we take the commands that the Most High gives us that we know they won't like or that'll make them uncomfortable, and we diminish their importance. We push them away. We set them aside, as Jesus would say. Mm. We talked about last week, setting aside the commandments. That's what we do. We set aside the commandments that our neighbors don't like in the name of loving our neighbor. We've taken our first love and made it our second love, which in his eyes is no different than forsaking it. Right. We've done all the outward things right, like Ephesus was. But our first love has become our second love, and that's what happened with Jehoshaphat here. It almost got him killed. If, if Yahweh had moved on his behalf, he would have died right. in battle. They were pursuing him hard, right? Then he gets home. I'm going to read the first few verses of chapter 19. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. Jehu, the son of Hanani the seer, another prophet, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate Yahweh and so bring wrath on yourself from Yahweh? Let me read that one more time. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate Yahweh and so bring wrath on yourself from Yahweh? He's saying, and remember, love in Hebrew, this was a Hebrew text, meaning means it's action-oriented. It means to give. It's, it's, it's a verb again. Should you do for your neighbor while they hate me? It's, it's a loaded question, as you would say. Right. The answer, obviously, is no. What Yahweh is saying here is if your neighbor hates me, if your neighbor is wicked, you should not be loving them. That's a message that a lot of Christians are not going to like to hear. If I said that without, if I said that, this is what Carl says, we shouldn't love the wicked and we shouldn't love those that hate God. If they didn't know this was coming from the Bible, they'd say, well, that's completely against what Jesus said. He says to love everybody, unconditionally love everybody. But this is what the Most High is saying. The sin of Jehoshaphat here was loving and doing for his evil neighbor, going above and beyond to help his evil neighbor in his wickedness. Right, and and knowing, knowing. the wickedness. Knowingly. Multiple, multiple situations where he was shown it mm-hmm. and didn't walk away. Yeah. He almost chose death. He was, I know you can't see this, listeners, putting up you know, the, the fingers really close together. Mm-hmm. He was that close. He was that close to choosing death with Ahab. Because he, his love for his neighbor caused him to join himself with his neighbor, with, which created a separation between him and his God. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Most High is warning us about here. And this flies in the face of what we're too often taught in the churches, that, that we should join with our neighbor, right? right? And I think that girl you talked about that, and from that video, I think that's what pushed her away, right? right. She was one of those neighbors. Her sensibilities didn't agree with the Most High. And she demanded that her sensibilities be respected. 
with no intention whatsoever of changing. Of changing, yep. Ahab had no intention of changing. Jehoshaphat did not make Ahab more righteous. Right? Right. Jehoshaphat cleaving with Ahab here did not make Ahab more righteous. It made Jehoshaphat less righteous. Bad company corrupts good character every single time. And that's the danger of elevating our love for our neighbor too high. Now, again, the reason I shared that story from the trip was to make it clear loving your neighbor matters but it has to be done in the right way. And it can never be done in compromise of what the Father says, ever. If loving your neighbor compromises your love with the Father, you need to always defer to your first love first and not make your first love second. But Then the prophet says this, and this is awesome. Verse 3, But there is some good in you. For you have removed the Asherah from the land, those are the the idols, and you have set your heart to seek God. I love this. It's a big but. It is. It's one of my favorite references. He starts off with a harsh rebuke. You have seriously defamed me, is what he's telling Jehoshaphat. What you did was not good. Not good. But I see a nugget of goodness in your heart, and I'm going to use that. That's the promise. That's why he was rescued. What Jehoshaphat did with this is awesome. So he fell pretty hard here. Right. Received a pretty harsh rebuke from the Most High. But then that little encouragement of hope, there's goodness in you. Right after, it skips, it's, it skips. I'm sure, there, sure there's, a, there's a skipping of time here, right? Mm-hmm. There's a passage of time. We don't see that in the text. It goes straight to verse 4, and it says, this is, it says so, which implies that this is what Jehoshaphat does with this rebuke and this, this glimmer of hope. Right. So Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem and went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to Yahweh, the God of their fathers. So he learned from his mistake, from his failure. He learned from his folly in elevating his love for his wicked neighbor over and above his love for the Most High. He didn't stop loving his neighbor. What he did was he started loving his neighbor in the right way. That's important. And it says that he would go down from the palace into the countryside and convince people to follow the Most High in his ways. He committed his life to following the Most High and teaching others to do the same. That's what we've got to do with this. When we're told, essentially Jehoshaphat's told, you know, you sin bad and there's, there's a storm of discipline coming if you don't fix this. In fact, I would argue that he already went through the storm of discipline with this battle and almost dying. That was his storm of discipline, I would say. And then the Most High comes and tells him why. This is why you had to go through the storm. Because you sinned. You joined with the wicked. You joined with somebody who hates me. That's why you went through the storm. So what was the solution? It was a pivot. It was a complete pivot, which led to him properly loving the Most High, which means obeying him, right? Mm -hmm. Not just the outward commandments matter. 
because he's commended for that. Remember, he at the very start of chapter 17, he's commended for outwardly obeying the commandments. So don't think for one second that that's not a good thing, but that's yeah. not enough. There has to be a wholehearted commitment to the Most High. We're told Jehoshaphat didn't really have that. He didn't fully have his whole, his whole heart. He had the outward expression of commandments, which I would argue he kind of broke by sitting there in, in the midst of the idolatry anyway. But the Most High says, I've got some of your heart. I can see I've got some of it, and I can grow that. There's a seed right. there, and I can make that grow. But Jehoshaphat had to stop resisting, which he did. Right? Mm-hmm. He did. And then the Most High had his whole heart. So it's not just outward show anymore. Now it's a wholehearted inside-out commitment to the Most High, which led to him properly loving his neighbor. He's no longer corrupted, right? Right. That's, that's the template we need to follow. And it's not just a feeling. It's a, it's a commitment that leads to a genuine obedience and a genuine love. And what's pretty awesome here. And this is how this kind of continues, sort of start to wrap it up with this, but this is how it continues from last week. We talked about me seeing the number 40 everywhere, right? And that led me to, to, to Ahul, or Elul, mm-hmm. right? Which is coming up, by, by the time you listen to this, it'll, it'll have started. It starts uh, August 27th, I believe, or started. For us, it's future. All so right. confusing. <laughs> Starts August 27th, or if, if the right. new moon is spotted. And just to sort of explain that, uh, biblical months are based upon the sighting of the new moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, most believe that's the sliver. First time you, it goes completely dark, the first time you spot a sliver from Jerusalem is usually how the month starts. Right. Or 12 months biblically. Elul is the sixth month. Uh, originally, they were just given number designations. They named those months months while they were in Babylon, and you see those names given in Scripture. It's the month right before the fall holy days. So mm-hmm. in the seventh month, the very first day of the seventh month is the Feast of Trumpets, where trumpets are blown. Ten days later, exactly ten days later, so the tenth day of the seventh month is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, the day when atonement is made for the people. Five days after that begins the celebration of Sukkot, which is that eight-day celebration. It's, it's like a coronation festival. It's like a, a wedding feast, right. like a party, right? Those are the holy days that take place in the seventh month. Elul is the sixth month. And traditionally, when the sixth month starts, it's exactly 40 days to the Day of Atonement. So it's treated as a 40-day period of repentance, of turning back to the Most High. and the word Elul means harvest. So that should immediately, you know, conjure images Mm -hmm. of, of Jesus talking about the harvest of souls, right? Mm -hmm. Traditionally, it's also referenced as the time when the king is in the field. So historically, the kings of Judah and Israel would, or Judah specifically would come down from the palace while they were harvesting and they would set up their camp in the fields during Elul, that harvest period and it would be an opportunity for the people to come meet with them face-to-face. They would come down on, this, on the same level as the people, and that became a prophetic picture of what Yeshua is going to do when he, when he comes into the field with us. Mm-hmm. So it's called the king is in the field. What's so beautiful about this with Jehoshaphat, he goes from this terrible folly to this harsh rebuke 
and this glimmer of hope, hope. And he so turned his life around that he became a living picture of that king is in the field imagery. Because we're told that he came down from the palace into the hill country, into the fields with the people to meet with them, to show them the way back to the father. Right. Awesome is that. Right. Right. You can have total restoration if you commit yourself to him and surrender to him. All of us can. But we're at that decision point, I think. Right. That's what this, this, whole, this whole month of Elul represents is that decision point. Are you going to go to meet with your first love? And if, if he's become your second love, fix it. Make him your first love again. Or are you going to be like Ahab? Choose death. Wander off in the opposite direction. Or continue right. deluding yourself into believing that you're doing everything right and you don't need to meet him. Right. You don't need to, to do things his way. I think that's the place we're at. Absolutely. When This is the last story I'll tell about the vacation. It was really cool. We came to, it was after, after that day that I told you that I, I asked for confirmation on, on a storm and we drove into that storm and the car just died. Right. And then Steph prayed and then it just started back up and everything was fine. It was, it was bizarre. We were exhausted after that day. It was stressful, especially for, for mom and my stepdad. They were really stressed out about that. I was just trying to figure out what he was telling me because I was pressed and knew that there was something I was supposed to get out of it. And Steph was just like, oh, I'll just pray to pray us out of it. She had no stress at all. I wish I was like that. So we come to our cabin. Well, we rented a house. Came to it pretty late. And uh, we're unpacking our stuff. Our room, Steph and I's room, was downstairs in a finished basement. And there were two beds down there, and there was a wall shelf in between, right? A hanging right. wall shelf. Get everything down there, steps down there with Faith. And I go upstairs, and I hear this crashing sound. I race downstairs to see what happened to make sure everybody was okay. And Faith had put her tablet on that wall shelf, and she had pushed down on a, on a button or something on it. Mm-hmm. That had a little bit of pressure, and the wall shelf just came crashing out of the wall. Just came crashing down. Well, my stepdad and I looked at it, and they didn't have it properly anchored. They had drywall anchors, but not toggle bolts. Hmm. So it wasn't, it wasn't anchored for weight. Right. It was, it was anchored like you would anchor a semi-heavy picture. A decorative shelf or something. Yes, but not anything that was load-bearing in any way. So as soon as she put a little bit of pressure on the shelf, it came crashing out. Kevin's like, well, we'll fix this. We'll, we'll get proper anchors to put into it. Felt like I was supposed to get something out of that. Mm-hmm. It was weird. It was one of those moments where something happens and you're like, I feel like there's a lesson here, but I don't really know what it is. The next day I turned to, I still have this on my mind, I turned to Ezra. Let me find it real quick. Sort of throwaway verse. I shouldn't use that term. Nothing in the Bible is a throwaway verse, but it's, it's one of those verses that you would typically kind of gloss over. Mm-hmm. The better way to put mm-hmm. that. It's Ezra chapter nine, verse eight is what I turned. I turned to Ezra chapter nine and my eye came to verse eight. I almost didn't even read it. Cause I'm like, I'm probably not going to get anything out of this. It's Ezra is just talking about the rebuilding of the temple. I don't know what this could apply to anything, but I read it anyway. It's a section on how they were uh, engaging in mixed marriages and Ezra's prayer of confession. Right. Right. 
Verse 8 says, Now for a brief moment, grace has been shown from Yahweh our God to leave us an escaped remnant and to give us a peg in his holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. I couldn't take my eyes off that word peg for some reason. Like it was highlighted on the page. Mm -hmm. And I noticed there was a footnote on it. And the footnote led to Isaiah chapter 22, starting in verse 23. And I turned to that. And it says this. It's talking about his people, his chosen people. It says mm-hmm. in, in, in one of the representatives of, those, of, of his chosen people, it says, I will drive him like a peg in a firm place, and he will become a throne of glory to his father's house. So they will hang on him. All the glory of his father's house, offspring and issue, all the least of vessels, from bowls to all the jars. And that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, the peg driven in a firm place will give way. It will even break off and fall, and the load hanging on it will be cut off, for Yahweh has spoken. Hmm. What he's talking about there, prophetic imagery, is he's comparing us to a, a peg driven into a wall for weight to be hanged on. Now he's the wall or the peg. But he's saying that we're not properly anchored. And when weight is placed upon it, it's going to break free from the wall and come crashing down. And that's when it hit me. The lesson. We need to be properly anchored. We can deceive ourselves into believing that we're anchored to the wall because we're, we're hanging like we should, mm-hmm. right? But if our anchor isn't load-bearing, the moment a little bit of pressure gets applied, crash down. We get cut completely off. That's what happened to that girl. Yep. She I thought just, she was... Um, go ahead. I was just going to say that, that you know, she wasn't... She wasn't her peg wasn't planted directly in him. No. And as soon as it, as soon as weight was put on it, she came crashing down. That's exactly what happened. She was not properly anchored. She was anchored to the wall, but not properly anchored. And he put a little weight on her through his word, and she fell off. She fell off because she didn't have a proper weight-bearing anchor. She didn't have a toggle bolt, spiritual toggle bolt, right? You can be anchored back again if you return, but that requires a pivot like Jehoshaphat made. Jehoshaphat wasn't properly anchored either. And he very nearly got cut off. And he was warned. But then he fixed it. He partnered with the Most High and stopped resisting Mm -hmm. and fixed it and let him properly anchor him to the wall so that he could have pressure applied. And you see that later in Jehoshaphat's life. The next time he faces a battle, it's completely different. He faces, he faces an overwhelming invading army. Jehoshaphat's first response is terror because that's human. He was afraid. You know what his second response was? To go to the temple and pray and to seek the mm. Most High. He didn't seek an alliance again All right. like with the other ma- kings had done. An alliance with man. Yeah. 
he didn't he didn't go out and and call a census for his army and try to build up an army to fight back. He just trusted. He was so on fire for the most high after his mistake and after his rebuke that he just trusted. He went to the most high and inquired of him and said, "We can't we can't win this on our own. We can't depend upon our own strength or our own might or the strength and might of our neighbors because they will fail us. We can only depend upon you." And Yahweh came through in a huge way for Jehoshaphat because of that trust. He, long story short, he led Jehoshaphat out to watch him send a destroying angel to destroy the army for him. Mm. It's one of the only times the Most High has done that. Usually when he delivers his people, he, he, he fights with them. Right. Jehoshaphat didn't even have to lift a sword, nor did his soldiers. He sent a destroying angel to do it for him and let Jehoshaphat be a witness to it to see where his trust led him. And that's the same God we serve today. He has not changed. Not right. one iota. We have. We've moved away from him. We've broken our anchor. Not the other way around. you have any final thoughts before we close up? No. Are you sure? You look like you're holding on to something. No, I'm pretty. pretty. I mean, it's just reiterations of what's been said. I know this one ran long, but again, being the final final part in this discussion, I didn't want to rush it. All right. But I also don't want to drone on and on and on. We, we're at a decision point. I'll just briefly summarize. A storm is coming. Don't know exactly what it looks like. I, I have my ideas, but you probably look at me like I was crazy if I shared them. think something big's coming. And I know why. Because we're not anchored. I mean, the world outside the church isn't anchored to him at all. I don't know what it's going to take to get through to them. But honestly, I think it's more dangerous for those inside the churches who think they're anchored correctly, who think they're anchored to the wall, who've self-deceived themselves like I was self-deceived, right? And when pressure gets applied, you fall. And you, you have to make a choice. You cannot fall away like that girl in that video did. You cannot. You've got to be at a place where you can accept discipline, accept correction, and be like Jehoshaphat and press into him. Turn it around. He's giving mm-hmm. you the chance to turn it around. He could have killed Jehoshaphat. He didn't. Right? Um, according to his law, he should have killed Jehoshaphat and didn't. Gave him a chance to turn it around, to fix his broken foundation, to fix the anchor point. Our first love is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other. He's not a way, a truth, and a life. Right? Right. He's not, the... he's not a general direction and a half-truth and a life at the end of it. The way, the truth, the life. He's the good shepherd standing behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. He's been whispering that to us gently for a long, long time. And we've been ignoring him. And he's going to have to raise his voice. I think it's the only way he can get through to us. But you've got to make sure you're at a place where you're willing to listen. I think I'll close with something that you turned me to earlier today. 
And it's something that when, when he revealed to me how improperly anchored I was and let me fall a bit to feel that sensation of falling, to see what was really in my heart, to see if there was goodness in me like there was in Jehoshaphat. There were a couple things he turned me to to give me hope through that process. One we've talked about before, that was King Manasseh. Right. The other was Job. Specifically, Job chapter 33, where his, the young man finally responds, Elihu. He's listened to Job go back and forth with his, with his three friends this entire time. And he's listened, to, he's listened to the friends misrepresent the situation. And he's listened to Job misrepresent God in his mercy. Right. And Elihu kind of rebukes him a bit. He's the only one in the entire account that isn't rebuked by the Most High. The Most High corrects Job. The Most High corrects Job's friends. Makes restitution for his friends at the end, but there is correction there, right? Right. Never once does he correct Elihu. Elihu says this in chapter 33, starting in verse 14, it says, and I'll close with this because this is, this is our hope. This is what we need to be doing with, with this information. For God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. He speaks in dreams, in visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their beds. He whispers in their ears and terrifies them with warnings. He makes them turn from doing wrong. He keeps them from pride. He protects them from the grave, from crossing over the river of death. Or God disciplines people with pain on their sick beds, with ceaseless aching in their bones. They lose their appetite for even the most delicious food. Their flesh wastes away and their bones stick out. They are at death's door. The angels of death wait for them. But if an angel from heaven appears, a special messenger to intercede for a person and declare that he is upright, he will be gracious and say, rescue him from the grave. For I have found, I have found a ransom for his life. Then his body will become as healthy as a child's, firm and youthful again, when he prays to God, he will be accepted by him. And God will receive him with joy and restore him to good standing. He will declare to his friends, I sinned and twisted the truth, but it was not worth it. God rescued me from the grave, and now my life is filled with delight. Thank you for listening and including us in your day. Before you go, don't forget to follow our podcast, leave a positive review, and click the bell icon to be notified whenever we upload new episodes. Also, feel free to join us on social media and share any feedback, questions, or discussion ideas you might have. Links are in the description. Additionally, you can get more content like this at the Broken Record Ministries podcast. Just search for them on any player. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, you should be able to find them as well. As always, we pray that what we're doing here is a blessing to you as well as a light pointing only ever to Him. This has been that Philly Faith Podcast encouraging you to keep your feet steady upon the path, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and pursue that Philly Faith. Until next time, Shalom. God bless.
Singing Gloria, amen. Singing Gloria.